I heard um, I heard a brilliant expression recently: mental health hygiene. Um, you know, looking after ourselves um, on the daily, um, giving ourselves time when we need it, and rest when we need it, um, motivating ourselves, uh, doing all those things we know keep us well. Hello and welcome to the Helping Organisations Thrive podcast. This is your host, Julian Roberts. This podcast is to provide leaders and business owners with insights, discussions and robust strategies to help their companies thrive. We'll be interviewing business leaders, owners and experts in the field of business resilience. As a consultancy, we're here to help SMEs build resilient, high-performing teams and businesses quickly so they can innovate, deliver and thrive. If you would like to build a resilient team and business that creates, innovates and delivers, then do get in touch at julianrobertsconsulting.com. Welcome to Helping Organisations Drive. Uh, today, I have the great pleasure of uh, Louise uh, Larkham on the show. Uh, welcome to you and afternoon to you, Louise. Hi, lovely to be on. Thank you for having me. No, it's lovely to have you on today. And uh, I just want to tell the audience a little bit about you. You're the owner and director of Mind Care Training, uh, where you, you deliver quality mental health first aid provision to public and private sectors. Uh, and obviously with that, you are a mental health first aid instructor uh, and obviously a background in education in teaching as well. Um, now today, we'll be exploring the impact of mental health in the workplace, uh, looking at the stigma around it, uh, strategies to help businesses, uh, perhaps looking at the whole area of prevention rather than cure, and how we have those sensitive conversations as well. But before we get into that, uh, Louise, uh, I'd like to ask ask every guest this, uh, what do you love about what you do? Well, how long have you got? Um, I, I love the online, I love the classroom, I love the wrestle with people, uh, where people are able to uh, come up against some uh, challenging concepts or maybe a different way of thinking. Um, and they just want to hit pause and say, hang on, how does that work? You know, um, let's pull that apart a bit. I love experience in the room where people are able to talk freely about their own experience, make sense of things that have happened to them, maybe. Um, and just to hit pause with what's gone on in their life so far. And um, it, sometimes it makes sense of it when, when, when we're doing training. Uh, people can make sense of experience they've had and also experience of family and friends. Um, those are lovely moments. Those are really lovely moments. Yeah. So it's that interaction that, that and those moments of I guess, light bulb moments and that yeah. aha and those sort of moments that you love about what you do. 100%. 100%. Yeah. And I was nervous. Obviously, we I used to do this face-to-face in the classroom um, as the day job, um, the mental health first aid training. Um, and then covid uh so we we had to translate the course to an online delivery uh with mental health first aid england and um and i was really nervous about what that would look like keeping people safe um the content having the impact uh mm. that it does um i have to say i'm a, i'm a convert i i absolutely love doing the the training over zoom we we work it so that you're in a hub and you do some interactive work 
on your own. Um, and then we do four live sessions. So people come with like that base knowledge um, mm. of things that they've learned. And then they come into to the classroom and that well, the live session on Zoom. Uh, they've mm. had time to reflect and sit with stuff. And then, yeah, it's powerful. It's really, 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 really good. Brilliant. Are you, are you doing any in-person stuff at the moment or is it still all online? Yeah. Well, it's amazing how many uh, companies have decided to stay online. And actually, I, I've um, got some of my biggest clients that have come to me throughout COVID um, and they're up north. So uh, we're staying online and and they love that as a, as a way of keeping the cost down, you know, obviously not paying for travel and all of that stuff. Mm. Um, but I have got some face-to-face ones. I work with a, a local education college um and i'm doing some half day and and full courses with them as well so mm. yeah both um we're, we're firmly in the hybrid mode around here brilliant that's good to hear so we are talking about mental health um and probably a topic that's become a little bit more prominent in the last couple of years um mm. Uh, whether it's been talked around in the, in the proper way and whether it's been and they've been done about it that's another thing uh, it's yeah. all very well something trending it doesn't mean it's uh, changing or having an impact as it should do mm. um, so before we get into that I, I, not that it's, it's an ob- almost might seem an obvious question but how, how would you define mental health in the workplace in the workplace or as a human <laughs> so well um, yeah however you want to dis- I guess describe it really because it goes yeah. everywhere with us isn't it we are there. 100% we are made up mind body and soul aren't we so um in terms of I would always use the analogy of uh, physical health we keep ourselves fit we know when we're not looking after our bodies and after our health we know what it feels like to eat too much and feel gross uh, and not exercise and then we know what it looks like when we are um you know breaking down barriers with that like pushing in and really looking after ourselves um for me the correlation is 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 uh, direct um our mental health i heard um i heard a brilliant expression recently mental health hygiene um you know looking after ourselves um on the daily um giving ourselves time when we need it and rest when we need it um motivating ourselves uh doing all those things we know keep us well um obviously some mental health uh conditions or illnesses um will come out of the blue um and there'll be uh, an effect of uh, things in our past and there's all sorts of reasons for poor mental health in the same way that you can have an accident with physical health and suddenly be experiencing some really challenging uh, ch- uh challenging times so yeah i would relate it to physical health um and i see mm. it on a parity with that when we're looking at how to support within the workplace um we are physical and mental beings. The same, we carry the things that we uh, deal with physically at home. We carry them into work, and mm. and that's the same for our mental health. You know. And have you have you noticed a difference in the last couple of years in terms of it becoming more talked about or more engaged about it, or is it still mm. a bit of a oh I can't see it, therefore I can't put my finger on it type of thing? Have you sort of experienced yeah. it this? Yeah, that's a really good question. Uh, I had a look at the 2021 stats for uh, stress because it's Stress Awareness Month. So I've been doing lots of chats around stress uh, this month. Um, And they were saying post-COVID, the absence um, for stress, particularly at work, have gone right up to about 50%. Now, in my mind, there's two conversations there. Um, 
is it that there's more stress, increased stress, or is it that people are able to have a conversation around stress rather than taking time off as a physical illness? Do you mm. see? Yeah. So for me, there's a bit more to those statistics than uh, that is a number that we can pull out. Um, I do think the conversation has uh, been much more fluid because of what we've experienced over the last couple of years and, and people are more open-minded. However, I do still see a, a, a fair amount of judgment and um, wrestling with, well, hang on, what if, you know, people are just taking duvet days and, you know, all of this stuff, uh, language around um, mental health and absence, certainly. Um, I think it's a challenging conversation to have. Um, and I think, that, to be honest, the Mental Health First Aid course really puts that at the top agenda, challenging stigma and language around uh, mental ill health so it's it's a good conversation yeah I'd like, I'd like to probe a little bit of that because mm. it, it, I, I hear what I'm saying here do, do you think people mm. are using it in a in a way that to their advantage to say I don't know I'm just calling it out as in oh, I've got to do better I've got this I've got this do you think people do that do you think people abuse it or are people genuinely in that or how do we get to the root cause that it's a genuine thing what's what's the approach with that because it's a tricky one isn't it because a physical one is obvious clearly you can see something uh but a mental one you can't and i guess it's how do you not challenge it that's probably the wrong way but how do you get to a place where you can understand it that it is genuine this and you can help not only to give them support but also for future things going forward isn't it i think it's uh really interesting your phraseology um, because it makes us judge. Um, mm. When we sit in place of judgment of deciding whether somebody should be believed or not, I think we're walking on dangerous territory. Um, I think my ethos would be to seek to understand somebody before mm. um, trying to have my own opinion. And I would also go with believing uh, somebody before trying to pass a judgment on what I think. I had a, okay. um, I have a really good friend who um, experienced chronic pain syndrome for eight and a half years. You couldn't see it. It was um, she she used crutches and ended up in in a lot of pain. But um, you know, chronic pain is it's a difficult one to to discuss, isn't it? Because it's not a, a thing or a something that's happened. You know, there's um, I you know I'm not medical, so hear me well on this one. But um, she ended up having an amputation, um, and people can see an amputation. They treat her differently because mm. of her amputation, and yet she's not in pain anymore. So the pain was more severe. It chronically affected her life when people couldn't see it, and yet when there is a, a conclusion or a, a result from that, she gets mm. um, a lot more help now. Uh, the fight for a blue badge, my gosh, I can't even tell you. Um, you know, it was a really difficult journey. So my ethos would be, uh, to believe in somebody, um, to believe what they're saying to you. I think compassion is highly underrated. Mm. Um, I think we spring into judgment um, and and like to decide for somebody what their what their capacity and what their parameters are. And, mm. and I don't think that's right. So how do we change that narrative? Because we are visually, we do look for things, don't we? We always yeah. want to check, and we don't want to be fooled we don't we have one over on a that, that's a natural natural thing if you if you're leading an organization of course it is 
So how do we how do we change that narrative? Because I think to me that that's that's quite a big thing in the workplace, and, and yeah. I, th- I don't think it's spoken. That's why I want to bring it up. I don't think it's spoken about too much, really. Mm. It, it is quite a big thing, isn't it? Really? Yeah. Well, I think so. To bring t- to light uh, an official review that was done um, to just try and shift the narrative. Deloitte's um, uh, Deloitte's famous all over the world. Um, spent a huge investment looking at well-being. Um, and they wanted to do an in- independent review looking at the impact of their investment, you know, spending lots of money. Is this landing where we we're investing in people's well-being? We're pushing mental health first aiders. We're really making a solid uh, progress towards. Um, and they did a, a they did an independent review and a paper came out in January 2020. Uh, it's actually on my website under the toolkit. You can go and have a look at the paper. It's just such a f- fabulous read. Um, the baseline conclusion for um, the investment that they they pushed towards, the drive, um, was that for every £1 spent, there was a £5 return. Mm. So taking care of people allowing people time when they need time. We all experience challenging life events, um, COVID, bereavement, uh, separation. They are going to impact our mental well-being. They're going to impact our capacity to work. Um, Mm. When we have a community, a work-based community that either accepts or rejects that, it's going to have a massive play on our output. Mm. Um, And if you want to look at money and baseline, I'm much more interested in the people myself. But if, if a company wanted to look at the baseline, you can always look at the impact report, for, you know, on that. Um, what do your absences look like? I mm. think the fact that people are naming it for what it is um, shows a um, an acceptance and a comfort in, within an organisation. And I would say that was a good thing. Mm, definitely. <clears throat> That's quite a lot, isn't it? One pound and you get a five pound return in terms yeah. of investment I was that's going to say 100% but actually that's <clears> the, wrong, <throat> the wrong thing to say absolutely yeah it's huge so so how do we um so we, we change the narrative how do we create a culture that is mental health positive I don't know what the word is but that is more accepting and more pro uh being helping people who've got perhaps mental problems or challenges mm-hmm. Um, how do we create that culture in an organisation? Even you may, where you've got ten people, five hundred people. How do we do that? That is a a million dollar question, isn't it? So it's talking about culture of a of a workplace community, and um, the culture created comes from top down investment mm. in in people in the individual. Um, that will filter down throughout a company and be modelled from top down. So I, I very firmly believe in um, mental health first aid training for all from senior management down. Um, we aim to train one in 10. That's a great ratio that gives people a chance to be able to access mental health first aid at any given point. Um, when you're looking at line management, <sighs> creating a culture where positive and proactive line management is championed, you know, not the culture around who's pulling the longest hours, sending emails. I've worked in, in schools are ridiculous for it, um, where you're still working till half 11, 12 at night, sending the emails then so that other people can see rather Mm. than championing the culture of being boundaried about our work and home life. Because ultimately it makes us far more productive when we take time and rest and look after ourselves 
um, and have a good uh, balance or ebb and flow of life where, where sometimes we're on and we're engaged, but other times we're resting, recouping, rejuvenating and then going again. Mm. Um, yeah, just championing the culture of self-care, um, well-being, um, being believed in, you know, that will filter through an organisation as like wildfire if somebody's gone and asked for help and they're not believed in mm-hmm. uh then then they leave and we all know the cost when somebody yeah. leaves you know uh even looking at being signed off for periods of time you know the stats for people actually going back to the same place of work uh well certainly from my 2016 uh stats 80% of people won't go back to the same place of work once they leave mm. Well, we know that it costs what thirty thousand is the baseline to retrain, and then, you know, if you if you're looking at baselines, we want to keep people, we want to look after people, mm. um, uh, uh, and make sure they're the best versions of themselves. You know, does that answer the question? No, it does. <laughs> no, no, no. It's a lot. It's it's, it's a role modelling piece is quite key, isn't it? Because I think yeah, it's, it really the, it's setting the example, isn't it? That you know that whole adage of staying late until the boss leaves all that type of thing but actually mm. encouraging people not to send emails after six o'clock or mm. not to do things too early or or to take an hour off for lunch or whatever it is but it, it yeah. becomes the leader has to start to almost be transparent and show that that's what they're doing yeah and, and so oh, i'm picking my kids up i'm going to leave early today because of yeah. it, it maybe it's the role modeling piece is more powerful than actually putting anything in communication as a policy isn't it yeah, hundred percent, and I think that's really key because actually there is a very natural ebb and flow to some workplaces where the engagement needs to be high. Um, but understanding that 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 has to come with a period of rest, otherwise we can't we break. Uh, people break. You know, I've worked with some really toxic organisations, and um, and where they've been tip boxing, putting in mental health first aiders. But when you scratch a bit below the surface. You know, they're sending emails to each other whilst you're training. That doesn't show that level of engagement is not a heart yeah. matter for them. It's a head matter. And and that can be really difficult. Um, however, I have worked with companies that are really breathing this stuff and it saves lives. You know, I've worked with a number of companies, in fact, more than, more than one hand's worth, where I've had emails after, certainly the suicide training piece, uh, where somebody said, oh, actually saved a life um a couple wow. of days later and you know they come back into session three after we deliver the suicide training on session two and um and there's been a moment for them where they've where they've been able to walk somebody through a really difficult uh season and and get them the help and support they need in order to to That's stay amazing. here yeah really incredible i mean those moments for me are i i do it for one but you know it's incredible um incredibly powerful having those those moments yeah so turning the, the, the sort of the conversation almost around as, as a leader and perhaps mm. you're observing somebody and not bringing judgment, but you're observing something. Um, how do you have that conversation with them? Perhaps to, not to say take a break or to try and get that conversation that starts to create a dialogue or an environment that they'll, perhaps they'll share. I, I don't know. What, what, what's the best way of you observing somebody who's not quite right, you don't think, for some, whatever reason you're noticing something? And you want to help them and you want to really support them. So what, what, where do we go with that? 
Yeah, so uh, just to feedback, make sure I've understood the question. So I'm in a workplace context. I'm a mental health first aider. I've seen some shifts in one of my or, colleagues. Or you could be a lead or leader or mental health first aider, I guess, okay. either way. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so I'm at work. I'm SMT. I'm CEO, whatever I am. Yeah. I've noticed a colleague or a friend and a shift from, I like to use the expression, a shift from what's normal for them because everyone's yeah. normal is different, isn't it? You know, yeah. what's normal for one won't be for another. So I've noticed some things that have changed in their presentation, in yeah. how they interact at work. Uh, maybe let's scenario. So I like a scenario. Maybe they've started turning their camera off, turning up late to meetings. Uh, mm. Their productivity's declined. That sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah, that's perfect. How, yeah. Would, how would you open that conversation? So yeah, this is what the MHFA training really does. But um, scaffolding that conversation would be finding a suitable place. So to have a conversation. So setting up your environment is really important. You're not going to go and have conversation in an open office whilst a deadline's due uh so really thinking through your care for the person what would be the best environment for them um having in mind those things that you've seen and being really specific about them mm-hmm. um so w- when the person looks comfortable um saying i've noticed that um and being quite specific about what you've seen in in the shift um and then Rather than directing it at productivity, especially as SMT or CEO, you need to be really careful that you're not going in on a um, on a you're not producing. Mm. Rather, the care element of that. I've noticed right. things have changed. Is there anything going on for you um, that we can support you with? And just opening the conversation. We've got to recognise autonomy. You know, somebody might not feel comfortable to share, mm. might not want to share but what you've done by opening the conversation is you've shown them shown them that you noticed and that you care Mm. Um, and it's a really good start starting point you know um so yeah then just listening without judgment you know apparently it takes 17 seconds for us to think of a thought um a response or a story of our own when somebody's talking 17 seconds really quick isn't it so making Mm. sure we catch those thoughts and make it not about us and really engage with the person in front of us, um, staying curious, asking lots of questions, uh, if that feels like a good space to do that, not being afraid of silence um, is a great place to start. Sounds like a coaching session to me when I'm coaching people. <laughs> you just got me on my hobby horse, I'm off. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, 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 it's, but it's good. And I think it, it's what, what struck me, it's that, that compassionate sort of leadership, isn't it? That, yeah. The, the, the premise of all this is yes, you train people and you give the skills, and that's that's important. Yeah. And how you where you put the conversation in terms of the environment, what sort of things you might say, but it comes from a, an element of a heart led, isn't it? Yes. And 100%. being wanting to care, wanting to look after, mm-hmm. uh, and and by doing that, it's interesting because when you approach people like that, they'll feel that as well. Hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. When we take out productivity, what people aren't achieving or you know over engagement without productivity all of those things um when we take that out of the equation and we just look at the person in front of us it makes a massive difference um to how somebody will respond yeah now you touched on it before at the start about looking at almost like the physical health sort of hygiene point of view because in some ways we're we're all on like a continuum aren't we in terms of mental health it's not like you either got it today and you haven't got it tomorrow. It's not that mm-hmm. at all, is it? Do you want to sort of expand upon a bit more of that? 
well, I have a brilliant graphic we use in training and it's it's a quadrant. Um, and um, we talk about the fact that mental health is a journey and the fact that uh, we can experience episodes of poor mental health, obviously some far more challenging than others um, in terms of longevity and, and depth of experience. Um, so just to really recognise that breadth of experience that um, people can have. Um, I have many people on courses that go, huh, I thought it was a lifetime diagnosis and that they'd be mm. in forever, which breaks my heart really because actually, you know, people don't reach out because they feel like if they get a diagnosis that will be it forever and and that's that's not true you know I have my own episode of um of depression postnatal depression after my fourth baby um 14 years ago um through a really difficult period of time where I couldn't see the shifts in myself and mm. it took somebody else my doctor to see uh those shifts and and get me on some medication um, and then a really challenging time of self-acceptance and coming through that to having a diagnosis but not feeling like I had it anymore mm. and then coming off the medication um, and um, and actually being happy, healthy and well with the occasional uh, dip day and, you know, challenge to our emotions but uh, so much more self-aware having mm. had that experience which um, in its totality took about a year <clears throat> at the time um and statistically episodes of depression are between six to eight months um so for me i i think that's very hopeful you know and when we are when we are supporting people with a diagnosis um look <coughs> there is you know it is a, it's for a season um and that's not to underestimate some people's experience which does last a lot longer than that um 50 percent of people that have an episode of depression will never have another episode again that is really mm. hopeful you know um i would say now i'm incredibly grateful for my experience it's given me a whole lot more empathy and a whole lot more uh a, perspective mm. um when i'm when i'm talking to people that have also had challenging experiences you know yeah do you think that's one of the concerns people have when they feel they've got something and they get a label on them if it got some sort of mental health that that's it for the rest of life and that's a real concern yeah absolutely absolutely and i um <clears throat> challenging that perception um of it being lifetime diagnosis and actually sometimes our mental health can really ebb and flow you know somebody with a diagnosis um, who's very good at recognising their triggers, their signs and mm. their symptoms, um, can be really happy and healthy and well, you know, and work mm. really productively, um, engage in the community, uh, family, friends, you know, and they will be far better off than somebody um, without a diagnosis that's really wrestling with poor mental health. Mm. You know, the diagnosis isn't the, isn't the game changer here. It's that social model of having... Um, more good days than bad, you know, um, on repeat and looking after our, mm. ourselves mentally um, uh, in the same way that we would physically. Yeah. So you mirrored it You mirrored it with physical health, and obviously with our physical health, it is important to eat well, exercise, rest, sleep, all those sort of things. What, what are your top three things you do personally for your mental health or to help you with your mental health? Uh, in keeping it the mental health hygiene sort of yeah 
Good question. Um, so personally, I'm a binge runner. I love a binge to say, runner. <laughs> yeah, I'd love to say I'm more consistent than I am, but uh, that would be lying. So I'm going to be really authentic with you. I park run every week um, and then I try and run a few more times than that. And I actually joined a little circuits class recently. So I do uh, a couple of times a week do circuits as well. So uh, staying physically active is good for my mental health. Um, my One of my main ways of um, my recovery journey with my uh, episode of depression was starting to run. Um, so at a very overweight post-baby mummy, um, it was a slow plod, but it I don't know, connection to outdoors, fresh air, freewheeling in my head, uh, raging at the cows in the field. It was all of that, getting it out. Um, and that was very cathartic. So I've, I've maintained that for um, 13 years now, um, wow. which, which has been really good. Um, another thing that I do is journal in the morning. It's not for everybody. I understand that, but I have four children getting up um, earlier than them, having a coffee. Now I've got my conservatory back and the sun's streaming in. Oh, it's just, I actually had a little swell in a hot tub this morning as well, which is <laughs> just a, a real win for me. So I'm um, sunlight, vitamin D really affects me. So I take a supplement in the winter um, and then being in the sunlight as much as I can be is is good. Uh, a bit of the old seasonal affect in there. Um, so I, I do have to be extra careful over winter. So journaling, sunlight and exercise for me. Well, they sound really good. Um, I do. Well, no, I do. I, I love being outside. I do running, ultra running, trail running. Oh, but I also, I, Well done, well, you. Well, I haven't I mean, recently, but yes, I, I try to do that because I, I just so process when I'm running and yeah, uh, it, it's just, just brilliant. I love it. Yeah. Uh, I get I get my most inspirations when I'm out running in a forest yeah. and yeah. Yeah, I would sometimes wish I had a pad with me to write things down, but um, yeah. yes. I, I concur. Uh, I'm the same. I'm the same. Yeah. But I, I've, I've recently taken up uh, cold water swimming, started that back in January this year. So, yeah. and I love that. And now going that 20 minutes, I absolutely love it. So, um, there's some great studies around that. I have a massive mental block with the actually getting in. Yes. How you do that? It's amazing. Well done. You, yeah, so you just it's, it's, it just takes time, doesn't it? Like anything, you build up to it. And I'm surprised. I'm. I mean, it's, it's, the seeds got a little bit warmer, which helps. Um, but I'm surprised that I can. I go in quite freely now without getting too worried by it at all. It's incredible. I'm and I come. I come out absolutely elated. It's a really like a dopamine <laughs> impact. It's really weird. Yeah. yeah. So, yes. Those happy hormones. Uh, I heard, um, I listened to a, a podcast recently from Laughology. It was absolutely brilliant. And they talked about um, free happy hormones, uh, which I'd always used, but I hadn't had an acronym for. So they had an acronym, DOSE. Uh, dopamine, oh, yeah. which we get from fun, reward, excitement. Uh, oxytocin, um, which is our soothing, our mm. um, pets hugs connection all of that we get that lovely dopamine hit um oxytocin hit uh serotonin which is sunlight mm. and sleep interestingly um and then uh endorphins which yes. yeah exercise yes yeah, so, and laughing apparently brilliant no yeah. that sounds great yeah that really that's good to have that sort of help and support and i think it's good to be uh, you are aware of previous stuff you've had and you probably have awareness of days when you're not feeling great yeah. and, and you think what else can I do to try and 
do some self-care on that, isn't there? Yeah, 100%. Yeah, sometimes just sitting in it. I've got a couple of very good friends uh, who are counsellors, great listeners, sometimes just chewing their ear off and sitting in it for a bit before you move out. Yeah, it's all... Mm. I, I think connection is one of the most powerful things that we can have um, when we are experiencing challenging seasons. Um, yeah. Even if we're not talking, we're just with somebody. Uh, knowing you're supported is is beyond value, isn't it? That's good. Totally. I think social groups are vital in, in anything, yeah. whether it's like-minded in terms of you're suffering with a similar thing or your running group or whatever it is, just that I, I, I go cold water swim with a group of people. Yeah. Uh, and it's a social bit actually that probably holds that together despite the pain of sometimes the cold weather and everything yeah. or cold water. It's yeah. the social chit chat that we're having. Uh, yeah. It's really powerful. Um, I'd love to have a conversation with you today, Louise, and we'll probably talk a lot more about, uh, about mental health in the workplace. Um, thank you for your insights and your thoughts and your helps that you've provided today. Um, if people are interested in getting to know you a bit more, uh, how, how can they do that? Mm. Oh, I'd love to have a chat with anyone. Um, Mind Care Training is my uh, company. I have a website, mindcaretraining.com, um, and uh, you can reach out on there. There's a contact form on there, um, and I'd love to get. I'd love to um, hear from you. It'd be great to chat. Well, thank you for your time today, Louise. Appreciate that. Thank you. If you like this episode, then please do rate, review and share with your friends and colleagues. As a consultancy, we help SMEs build resilient, high-performing teams and businesses quickly so they can innovate, deliver and thrive. If you'd like to build a resilient team and business that creates, innovates and delivers, then do get in touch at julianrobertsconsulting.com.